From coast to coast, women grow up with their bodies being watched and, almost without fail, learning to watch their own bodies. This self-surveillance begins young and for many women feels impossible to stop. It permeates our relationships and decisions, negatively impacts our physical well-being, mental health, and overall quality of life. The Body Myth Podcast explores how we got here, why our size and shape have nothing to do with happiness, and what we can do to find body peace. I'm Ronit Plank, and I'm your host for the Body Myth Podcast. Let's get off of this weight and body image roller coaster together. Today, my guest is Signa Darpinian. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified eating disorders specialist, and host of Therapy Rocks, a personal growth podcast. She is also the co-author of No Way, a teen's guide to positive body image, food, and emotional wisdom, as well as the forthcoming book, How to Raise Body Positive Teens, a parent's guide to diet-free living, exercise, and body image, both with Jessica Kingsley Publishers in London. Signa provides telehealth therapy services in the state of California. Welcome, Signa. Ronit, I'm so excited to be here today. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk with you. <laughs> this is so fun. And I, I was thinking just before we pushed record that we were chatting and I was thinking, oh boy, we're going to be so talky on this. We're just going to be like uh, jumping over each other to talk and, and answer each other's questions because you have so much energy. And I know we, we connected right away at She Podcast Live in October. That was so fun. And you know, Renee, they say that whatever you got in trouble for in high school or junior high, that it ends up being your dream job. So I don't know about <laughs> you, but I was always at the dean's office for talking. Podcaster. That's mm -hmm. so funny. Actually, right? I'm trying to think if I got in the trouble. Yes, I'm very loud. And I've often been told to shush, shush, shush and lower my volume. And I don't know if this is trouble, but I did get to be the voice of Schreiber High School one year in high school where I got to make announcements on the PA every morning, which was oh. like so fun. I still have the plaque. I'm so excited that oh, I hung out in my See, office. if I had had that opportunity, <laughs> it might have got transmitted into a healthier way. <laughs> I want to say that when we talked at She Podcast Live, which is a conference for women, and a big shout out to She Podcasts for bringing all these women podcasters together, I just knew that you would be a perfect fit for this podcast, which I was just developing. And I'm so grateful that you have time to to share your expertise and experience with, with me and with the listeners. So... You know, when we talk about body image and body dysmorphia and eating disorders, a lot of people think about it as a woman problem. Mm. And, and and I think that, you know, though there are men that suffer from this for sure. And I'm wondering if you have any stats in your work that are very common statistics when it comes to women and eating disorders and body dysmorphia and then teenagers too. Well, a couple different things. First of all, a, a great site that people will want to know about for statistics that stays on the cutting edge and stays really current is NIDA, the National Eating Disorders Association. And you can go to each eating disorder. It has descriptions, it has a survey, and it'll give the current statistics for each eating disorder. But you know what might be kind of interesting for listeners to hear? You mentioned that, you know, we normally think of it as a women's problem. And historically, it has been. But what's kind of interesting is I have a colleague over here in the San Francisco Bay Area that's uh, a medical 
doctor at the UCSF Eating Disorder Program. His name's Dr. Jason Nagata, and he specializes in males. And actually, Mm -hmm. I was just interviewing him, and one statistic that people might find interesting is that by the time males or male-identifying individuals show up to eating disorder therapy, 50% of them are requiring hospitalization. Goodness. Why do you think? Interesting. Yeah. Is it, is there a reason? What's the correlation? Like why? Is it because no one notices it or it's under the radar? Exactly. Those two things. Exactly. It sneaks under the radar and, um, a fair amount, a large percentage of those cases. Uh, one example would be that males might quote unquote hide in sports. So for example, if you're in track and field in high school and you're running all these hours a day, um, you're, you're eating, you're maybe you're under eating might Mm. sort of sneak Mm -hmm. under the radar in a way Mm -hmm. that it might not if you weren't on a team. And, Mm. you know, oftentimes the, the boys will, their parents will say, gosh, I mean, I, I didn't know there was a problem. He's eating as much as I am, which, Mm -hmm. you know, isn't enough for a growing Mm. teen boy that's doing, that has a lot of energy expenditure. Mm -hmm. Also something that I find interesting about that is that when you have a teenager, especially when they're going through puberty, their body is changing so fast that like you can have a very, and I, and I feel even self-conscious talking about or noticing bodies uh, of people who are children. But when when people are going through puberty, all kinds of things happen where you could have a very spindly looking child who then becomes fuller figured, or you can have someone who shoots right. up and suddenly is no longer fuller figured and is kind of lengthening out. And because I find, because the body of the child that you might be thinking about and worrying about has never been to the place it needs to get to. It's never oh, right. crossed. It's never crossed you're, adolescent exactly territory. Right. You don't actually know what you're looking at or what you should be worried about. You're exactly right. And sometimes it's an issue of um, maybe not losing a bunch of weight, but maybe the teen has gro- has fallen off their particular growth chart. Mm-hmm. And so it's looking like they're kind of plateauing at a time when they should be gaining and growing. And so that can slip under the radar as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that because um, males are, you know, are really trying to shine the light on, you know, males, for example, and as well as well as marginalized populations. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the histories of the history of males and body image, Dr. Nagata brings up a really interesting point. You know, back in the day when when we were growing up, it was like Tom Hanks, right? And now it's mm-hmm. The Rock mm-hmm. and the Marvel characters. So right. there, there's just a lot that has changed. I think the body image dissatisfaction is fairly generalized now. Mm-hmm. I read a statistic, and, and then I want to ask you a little bit about your book. I read a statistic, and I wonder if, if this is reflected in, in your work, that 50% of 11 to 13-year-old girls consider themselves overweight. And, you know, I think that that has been a statistic that stayed pretty steady, unfortunately, in, in the time that I've been treating eating disorders, which if, if we're going to count, you know, the days where I was green and going to my very first conferences, it, it was mm-hmm. probably about 2000, 2001. And, and that has stayed a lot the same, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you have a parent book coming out in March, like, like actually by the time this airs, it may already be out and it's called Raising Body Positive Teens. And how did you and your co-authors decide to write a book for parents? 
Uh, it's a great question and it's it's a fun one to answer. So first of all, you know, we had our, our we have our teen workbook, No Way, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And what was kind of interesting about the, the teen workbook is that uh, we found a lot of adults were using it because it's very simple and it's quote unquote mm-hmm. bite, bite size. <laughs> and, you know, we're busy and we, we don't have a lot of time for that. And so we found that a lot of adults were using the workbook and, and that's not necessarily the reason why though. What we what we thought about is, you know, if you think about the parents raising teenagers today, I think it'd be fair to say that most people are probably in Generation X and Generation mm-hmm. X that I'm kind of still learning about the different generations, but Generation X is anyone that would be raising a teenager or well, anyone who would be 41 to 56 years old raising a teenager in, in modern times. And mm-hmm. so with parents, you know, we what we saw happening is parents would be, you know, by the, typically by the time somebody presents to um, a caseload, like a certified eating disorder specialist, like myself, a therapist or a dietitian, by the time parents come in, there's typically already a problem. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes these parents are put in a position where they're suddenly having to, you know, depending on the eating disorder, let's say it's a restrictive eating disorder such as anorexia, the parents are having to do the refeeding of mm-hmm. their child. Um, that's called family-based therapy. It's the first line of treatment. It's the evidence-based treatment for anorexia. Mm-hmm. So they're having to suddenly do all of this refeeding of their child when, you know, we oftentimes see the parent is, you know, doing whatever the latest fad diet is. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty blindsided. Mm-hmm. And we thought it just um, would be a good idea for parents, you know, I, I think we're pretty accustomed to teenagers being involved in, in diet culture, but we all are. Mm-hmm. Uh, teenagers aren't the only ones. And so mm-hmm. we thought, what a great opportunity to really give parents a point of reference of what a what a peaceful relationship to food would look like, what a peaceful relationship to to body would look like. Um, because mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that in our culture, we've, we've really lost our way with food and body. And we mm-hmm. need a point of reference because, you know, think of our the diet era when we were growing up. Yeah. Dieting was more straightforward at that time. Um, I don't know about you, Ronit, but my, mm-hmm. I remember being introduced to the diet era of fat-free. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a particularly awful one because snack wells right oh snack wells and rice cakes (laughs) rice cakes which could be really lovely with an added fat like nutella (laughs) right but my last frame of reference of rice cakes they're just going to stay there um and so you know how it was you would you just kind of keep eating this this food and and there would be overeating of it which is fine but the overeating Mm. was a different kind of overeating it's a kind of different it's the overeating that happens because what you're eating is so unsatisfying you know, yes. so the lack of fat in the food um, mm-hmm. really made it not so pleasurable. So mm-hmm. we thought it'd be interesting to get parents thinking about like, what is the evolution of their diet history and their body image? You know, what was the diet fat at the time? What was happening in your home with food? Um, what mm-hmm. were the messages you got about your body? So we have all this conditioning. Yes. And I, I think a lot of us, we weren't really, I mean, we're not very awake and aware about the messages mm-hmm. we're giving ourselves about our food and body, let alone our family. You know what's interesting, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to sort of mea culpa this. I had a yeah. guest on my other podcast 
about a year ago who who had permission from her adult daughter in her 20s to to talk about the eating disorder that her daughter had struggled with. And you know, the daughter started getting sick with with the restrictive eating and and the body dysmorphia when she was about 13 and it was a very 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 long battle for for the mom that I interviewed. The mom is actually the host of Hot Flashes and Cool Topics who you might know. Oh. Um Colleen Colleen Rosenblum and she had permission after a lot of years from her daughter to go ahead and talk about this. And it was the first time that she was coming out as a mom of a child who had suffered from an eating disorder. And I remember, this is before the pandemic when I interviewed her, that I asked how the household climate had been when it came to food Ooh. and body body talk. I asked, mm-hmm. you know, like you know and not, not in a very... I wasn't overtly accusing Colleen of of creating an unhealthy environment, but I I, I had this idea, and I think this is really I want to really touch on this with you. I had this idea that whatever had happened in the house was responsible somehow for mm. the daughter's disordered eating and restrictive eating. But she, you know, after talking with Colleen, it seemed that 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 wasn't the case at all. Like it kind of came out of nowhere. And something that I realized was that. I don't think you can always blame the parents for you can't. I mean, I think that Mm-mm, culture, no. culture and, you know, Instagram and TikTok, all these things are going in. So when, when you know, because I think there's this temptation maybe to say, well, it must be something the parents did or well, at least there was with me and maybe that's just a search for answers and security. But I wonder what you think about all that. Like how oh, often that's so, yeah, that's so mm-hmm. great. So, okay, so backing up Yes, you know, we thought, gosh, how great for the parents to have a point of reference, right? We've all lost our way. I think that's pretty fair to say. But mm-hmm. in the world of eating disorders, we've always known, so not not at all to imply that parents cause an eating disorder because eating disorders are multifactorial. And mm-hmm. actually, there's a model that we use called the tripartite model. And that's, um, think of a triangle, right? That's social mm-hmm. media, peers, and and social media peers and parents, I believe, is a tripartite model. And and we think that it's more peers, you know, in social media. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's definitely not written in a way that blames parents. But what's so cool is that when they're, you know, because parents do have some power, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if their words and actions can become more congruent. So if the example I was using about like, say the parent is put in a position to do the refeeding of the child. If there was congruency in word and action and, and not so much just doing what I say, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they're, they're modeling us. It's just a great opportunity to kind of look at, you know, what is my current relationship to food? Is it, mm-hmm. is it, is my relationship to food? Is it, you know, am, am I in the f- flow with my food? Do I have what the dietitian or do, dietitian co-author calls um, food freedom? Mm-hmm. Um, do I trust myself with food or does my relationship with food feel more restrictive? Do I feel worried? Um, I have a lot of guilt. Um, we get a lot of help from the culture with, mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of um, complimentary. I guess you could say when there's more congruency with word and action. Well, because your kids are watching. I mean, the kids are watching you. And I hate that. They're watching us with everything. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not just food, right? They're, yeah, I they've got our number. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm always trying to work on my boundaries as exam- for an example, um, because I figure, gosh, I want my daughter to model good boundaries. I mean, mm-hmm. it really, it's like the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So it's not just mm-hmm. food, but it really just is a great opportunity to take a look at your relationship and just kind of think like, gosh, is it outdated? 
Mm-hmm. Um, am I all right with where I am? And um, and I should point out, of course, that this this relationship to food and body, it's a process, not a finished product. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I think we'll be working on it for our lifetime. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what about body image? dissatisfaction for teens. I know you've said that it's a risk factor for disordered eating and eating disorder. So what protective factors can parents provide in their home to prevent this? Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a really fun question too. For starters, I thought it might be interesting to let the listeners know about an eight-year-long study that just was published at the end of 2018, might have even been the beginning of 2019, before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and it was um, by Rice and Steisen. And, and we can link it in, in the podcast mm-hmm. note, but it's, it, the study is on what they called the emergence of risk factors for eating disorders in young adolescent girls. Mm-hmm. And I think this is such an interesting one because what they identified is that the primary risk factor for an eating disorder is, is first of all, I'm thinking of this one, a, a risk factor of a perceived pressure for thinness. Now, I mean, I don't get to interpret the study, right? But I I think Mm -hmm. that we all have more than a perceived pressure for thinness. And so what happened Mm -hmm. after that, after the perceived pressure for thinness, is um, it was followed typically by body dissatisfaction. And then Mm -hmm. there was an average of two years for the adolescent girls of having body image dissatisfaction before they started, quote unquote, doing something about it, which might look like a diet, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then followed by an eating disorder. And of course, I'm not Mm -hmm. implying that everybody who goes on a diet develops an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. but it is Mm -hmm. common, pretty common, right? For those Mm -hmm. who have an eating disorder to have started with a diet. Not always though, not always. There Mm -hmm. are lots of different ways, lots of different onsets of an eating disorder. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so I thought that... That study is really current, and um, that is one way that body image dissatisfaction can turn into taking action and doing something to change the shape of one's body. Mm-hmm. And then a couple other things as far as providing protective factors in the home. We already mentioned, you know, it's always a great idea to be looking at our, our own relationship. You know, the overused metaphor where you're on the plane and and think of like yes. the oxygen mask first to you, the parent, mm-hmm. and then to, to everyone else in the family. So you can sort of extend that out and have there be more congruency in word and action. That's always good. Um, Mm -hmm. But but there are a couple different things that that we can do for providing protective factors. So one of them is, you know, a household, we've been kind of thinking of this language and we use a lot in our parent book, a household that encourages a friendship with body and Mm -hmm. a friendship with food. And if you think about a friendship with your body, it's kind of a nice metaphor because Mm. think of a teen and their friendships, right? Or any of our Mm -hmm. friendships. So let's focus on the teenager. You know, the closer we get to our friends, the more conflict there's likely to be because we're not clones of each other. Thank goodness, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there are going to be times where we don't like our friends very much or, you know, as adults, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we don't like our partners or our friends or our coworkers. There are just going to be times because, you know, it's not healthy for us to expect other people to be exactly like we are. And so in those times that we aren't liking our friend very much or our partner or our coworker, whoever it is, if there's a way that we can treat them with respect, mm-hmm. even when we're not liking them very much, there will be a quicker return to that baseline relationship with them. 
And then, so what we like to do is transfer that to body image. So there are going to be times that our teens are not liking their body. There are be mm-hmm. there are going to be times that we are not liking our body. Think of, you know, the picture that somebody posted without our permission, mm-hmm. and we don't like it. And now it's memorialized and it's online, and it feels mm-hmm. weird for them to ask for them to take it down or whatever it is. So there are mm-hmm. going to be times where we don't like our body, mm-hmm. and if there's a way that we can treat our body with respect and take good care of it, even when we aren't liking it, we'll have mm-hmm. a much quicker return to the baseline relationship. So, so that would yeah. be like, maybe like self-talk a little bit, like, you know, my body's doing the best it can or, right. you know, Hey body, Hey body, I know you're doing the best you can. Right. I'm just, or, yep. I'm just a little impatient today. Yep. Yep. Or, you know, um, maybe having an appreciation for something your body can actually do for you, mm-hmm. w- whatever it is. Um, but just committing to, you know what, I can see that there's an urge to take action around not liking my body. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm going to act opposite of that urge and I'm going to eat anyway. And, and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, the, that, the difference between that and, you know, say the client who might not be very far along in their eating disorder recovery when they're not liking their body, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, doing something about not liking it. Um, that's a long, that's a slow, it's what we call a slow return to baseline. So, so that's one message we like to cultivate a friendship, a friendship with food, having a friendship with body. And one of the other ones, and you have to tell me what you think about this, Ronit. One thing that's fun to do in the household as a protective factor is, is helping kids become critical viewers of the media. Right. Right. And so, uh, you know, pop culture is always so helpful that way, uh, unfortunately. Yes, I know. And tell me, tell me what you think about this. Uh, tell me your example of this. One, one that we had this uh, holiday season was my daughter and I really love the Ryan Reynolds movie from 2005, Just Friends. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen it? No, I I do love like some of I've seen for you know proposal the proposal. Oh yeah, that, but I, I haven't seen Just that. Friends, but now yeah, I we love... watched that one recently too. I mean Ryan Reynolds, he can just He's so uh, funny. he could just his facial expressions can just kill me. They kill me. <laughs> and so anyway, we we like the movie. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily suggest listeners watching it because it does have a pretty fat phobic message, unfortunately. Mm. And so the 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 theme of the movie, without giving it away entirely, is when. Ryan Reynolds is in high school. Uh, he's living in a larger body, and he mm-hmm. is quote unquote just friends with his with Amy Smart, who's the female lead. Mm-hmm. So he comes back, you know, years later. I don't know, it's a reunion or something, and now he is quote unquote more attractive and um, living in a body that's let's say more culturally sanctioned. Mm-hmm. And so instead of watching a movie like that, I mean, on one hand, you could just try not to watch films that promote fat phobia would be ideal, right? (laughs) But then on the other hand, if you find yourself watching a movie where there is some some weight stigma or um, messaging around fat phobia, I prefer to just not let it go without commenting or talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so my daughter, she's 12, and um, she's at the point now where she'll point it out. So we watched Iron Man. We were a little late to the Iron Man scene. And so we watched Mm -hmm. that, I think, closer to the beginning of the pandemic. We were on a Marvel run, I guess you could say, right? And and she was watching the scene where there were all of these dancers out on the stage. and, And at this point, she's able to, you know, be a critical viewer of the media. So she said, hey, what's, I just am noticing, like, gosh, all these dancers are the exact same size, you know? And, and so um, it doesn't mean we're, 
necessarily not going to watch a movie or that I'm going to, you know, be so proactive to check them all out ahead of time necessarily, but using them, using pop culture as an opportunity to really point out the messaging and, and describe yeah. what fat phobia even is. And, you know, like, Hey, by the way, you know how Ryan coming back in a supposedly more attractive body, um, that's not cool, right? You know that that's not okay and that's not true. That's conditioning. That's the culture's mm -hmm. conditioning. Mm -hmm. So helping kids become critical viewers of the media is another one that's nice to do in the house. Do you mm -hmm. do you have ideas about that? You know, I think, that's a, I think that's an area where I haven't really, I think I've fallen short in that area and I'm not, I'm not berating myself necessarily, but I think, I feel like we do a good job in this house with all foods are good foods and, mm -hmm. and I do think that it can be a little dangerous because when kids or teenagers see their friends and if anyone is following a you know like a fad diet or going quote vegan or trying to you know do green drinks in lieu of food like that kind of stuff too is really like a red flag I think it's important when your kids uh, habits start to change in any big way totally then I think that yeah. that's like when when kids use words like as I've heard this in the conversations like I'm gonna get healthy and I'm gonna you know I'm you know I can't eat when people start restricting that's also a really early sign I find uh you right. know and I think also another thing that I've heard is that you know even though our kids are asking for more autonomy uh when it comes to their choices in food and their choices in activities to remember that we're still the parents and that mm -hmm. we still get to decide, and this can be tricky, but how much food is enough? Because it's very, it's very tricky to, and I think this is something that has to be done with a therapist's guidance, but it's very tricky to tell somebody how much they should or shouldn't eat. It's dangerous territory. Right. But I feel like if you as a parent have a, a gut instinct that something is strange or different than it than it has been before, you need to act on it. You're because, exactly right. Because it these things take root. And I've talked to a lot of parents. I have, you know, friends all across the country that I've met over my life. And I've I have grown up friends who were actually uh, put into inpatient care even after they had many children and they were in their 30s who suffered from a newly blooming eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Like I just mm -hmm. think, but but what I just think we have to be vigilant. And I know this topic is incredibly complex and lengthy and we can't hit it all here. But right. The other thing is, th this is tricky, and I want to shift back to body because I realize I've taken us down this uh, eating this eating part. But I think that sometimes eating disorder and restricted eating doesn't always happen because someone is uh, consciously unhappy with their body. You're correct. Sometimes it just happens out of anxiety or fear or unhappiness, mm -hmm. right? But exactly. when when it, when it comes to body image, like, is it is it possible for a kid these days? Do you think to have body peace? Mm, okay. So I want to come back to that because, but I want to, I want to back up a little bit because you made some really good points that I forgot to make in the beginning that are really important, I think. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I want to say to you that you basically already said, Ronit, is when, um, so I mentioned that I've now been in the field for 20 plus years and um, it's, it's an interesting length of time because I've now seen some really interesting fads. And so in the beginning, like I said, even the beginning of me becoming an eating disorder therapist, dieting was more straightforward at that time. I mean, I can distinctly remember, you know, mm -hmm. mom's calling like, oh, my daughter's on Jenny Craig, you know, in high school and that just being kind of normative. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't, but it was. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned early on, now it's not cool to be on Jenny Craig. We know that. We know more now mm -hmm. than we did then, right? And yeah. we know about the body positivity movement and we know about non-diet approaches and we know 
know more about eating disorders. And and so it has gotten a lot sneakier and wellness culture has really hijacked right. things. Yes. So the single most common thing that you already named that we hear when a parent calls us, and again, by the time they reach out to us, and by us, I mean a CEDRD, so that would be a certified registered dietitian eating disorder, right? Or mm-hmm. a SEDS, which is a certified eating disorder specialist, that would be a therapist. By the time they get into our caseload, there's typically already a problem. Um, But here is the first thing that we hear. We hear, you know what? I just thought that they wanted to eat healthier and exercise more. Mm. And I mean, what could, so, so when you hear that, I'm just, I mean, I'm on the front lines of eating disorder treatment. So I know what it means. If my daughter came to me and said she wanted to eat healthier and exercise more, I would take it like she wanted to, you know, I would respond to it like she wanted to take up smoking, you know, but, (laughs) but that's how sneaky it is. So it's so hard to catch this at the first sign of a problem when Mm. the entire culture is encouraging this. So anyway, I just wanted to point out that that's, that's a great point. And this whole like, I just thought they wanted to eat healthier and exercise more. Our colleagues in Australia, I mean, are saying the same thing. So, I mean, it's really globally at this point for industrialized Mm -hmm. countries, at least. Yes, for industrialized countries. Exactly. Yes, Yes. and the connectivity that we have and and watching other images and trying to compare ourselves. Right. So the body piece, I don't want to get away from that. Okay, Mm -hmm. so so is it, so you're asking me, is it possible Well, we can circle back, too, because I... I know that you've said that body image is contextual. Like oh, yeah. You, you said in the chapter on body image that it's contextual. And so I, I'm not clear. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. I think, um, you know, our colleague, Dr. Riley Nichols, he is a sports psychologist that's an expert in eating disorders. Um, he was formerly the clinical director of the only eating disorder program for professional athletes. And he, he has a private caseload now. And he just, he came up with this term in in regards to, you know, body image is contextual. And what he means by that, and I just think it's so, such a, a cool thing to think about. He, you know, he debunks myths about body image being black and white. He said mm-hmm. it's it's contextual in that we are going to feel one way. Well, let's take it to our teens, right? So our teens are going to feel one way at this at school in the gym in the locker room about their body right Mm -hmm. then they are going to feel at home in their pjs getting ready for bed so, yeah. so body image is contextual. We're going to feel differently about our body depending on the context that we're in. So that's one, one way to think about body image. Um, another, another thing about body image, and I don't know, Renee, maybe, maybe this won't seem like as big of a deal to you, but Marcy Evans, she's a, a registered dietitian that has a national presence. She was uh, gracious enough to let us use her definition of body image, mm. which I think is nice because... I don't know about you, but I just go, you know, we hear body image, body image, body image yes, all the time, yes. you know, <laughs> yes. uh, isn't there a term for, you know, things that you hear all the time and they sort of, what does body image even mean? So yes, exactly. Right. So body image, uh, listen to her definition, an inner picture of your body and the way you feel about it. So we mm-hmm. all have a body image. Mm-hmm. We all have an inner picture of our body as well as the way that we feel about that inner picture of our body. Mm-hmm. So I think it's nice to just even define body image. I just so yes. simple, but I like it. Yes, and I and I think that I mean I I once brought up to um, I was talking to Renee Anglin who has the the body and media lab in at Northwestern, and mm. she I said to her, you know, if I lived 
you know, on a, in a quiet town on a dead end street and got only one TV station and hardly had media in my life, would I still, you know, be squishing maybe the extra fat that comes over my jeans and, and counting and seeing right. how many folds I can get? Would I still think about that as a problem and or would I just think, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that doesn't fit into my jeans Right. Anymore. That's such a good like, example. I just, but you know, her point was like, we really can't separate the culture from the way we experience right, exactly. our lives. We really can't. So so that well, leads we into to my next question for you, which is what is a, one of your best tips for improving body image? Okay. So, and then, well, one other thing I want to say about body image before we le- lead into it, because they kind of go together, they're circular, mm-hmm. but body image. So first of all, it's contextual. Um, we got the definition of body image, which is helpful. And then bo- body image is on a spectrum. So this comes mm-hmm. from Dr. Riley Nichols as well. He's somebody that we're working with all week long. And and so body image is on a spectrum, meaning that, you know, uh, when, when clients come in for a clinical eating disorder, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes there is a fair amount of body hatred. And so mm-hmm. say that that's on one end of the continuum or the spectrum, then you might have body tolerance. And, and oftentimes, actually, people will have one foot in body tolerance, kind of just tolerating mm-hmm. their body, and then one foot mm-hmm. in body hatred, mm-hmm. and then body acceptance and body love. So there is a spectrum. And, you know, one of my favorite um, body image tools or, or tips actually comes from um, a podcast. Which I find this so interesting. I'm sure you do too, Ronit. It each one of my podcast episodes, we actually ended up using in in the chapters of the parent oh, book. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, I did this interview with Dr. Dan Tomasulo, who wrote a recent book on learned hopefulness, and he's with Columbia University. And um, I, anyway, I did this. I, I read his book and I did this interview with him, and he does a lot of talking about micro goals. And I thought, gosh, this idea of micro goals. So I'm going to use a non-body image related story really quickly, but and then apply it to, to body if, if that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he uses this story about a client of his that he has permission to tell where, um, cause he's a, he's considered to be a leading authority on treating depression. And so mm-hmm. he had this client that was severely depressed and she was, you know, energetic resources were really, really low. This has been going on for a very long time. And she lived in an apartment and she, her, her the dishes in her kitchen were just taking over. She had done the dishes in months and she was actually onto paper plates. And mm. so she comes in one evening to session with him and she actually was a little bit late, which was unusual because she was buying paper plates because that's how far gone the kitchen was. You can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like it gets that way in a day, let alone mm-hmm. months, right? Mm-hmm. So he says to her, he's like, okay, you know, all I want you to do is go home tonight and I just want you to do just one dish just one. That's all. Mm-hmm. And so she, she's like, okay, that's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> but she commits to it. She goes home and she, you know, felt the resistance. She didn't want to do it, but she went ahead and did it anyway. I, I, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard it be called um, action precedes motivation. So not waiting to get in the mood. I think we do action precedes motivation on a regular basis, just emptying the dishwasher, right? I'm Mm -hmm. not in the mood, but I do it Mm -hmm. anyway. And then I'm like, oh, it wasn't that bad. What's the big deal? So anyway, she feels the resistance, does it anyway, does one dish. And what happens is because it's doable, you know, it's one dish. Who can't Mm -hmm. do one dish? Mm -hmm. She does the dish and then it kind of lights a fire in her. 
You know, so he calls it bi-directional activity. So you do one dish, it lights a fire. See, two directions, right? It lights a mm -hmm. fire in you, then you want to do another one. You're like, well, I mm -hmm. can do that. And so he, he really talks about the science of micro goals and how, you know, science has informed us that smaller goals keep us motivated, engaged, and connected to the larger goals we're after. Mm -hmm. And so now back to body image, I mean, think of like this apartment full of dirty dishes, right? That might be how somebody feels that's, that's over on the, the low end of the spectrum of body hatred. Love mm -hmm. your body might feel like the kitchen that is like full of dishes to do for months, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, and it's yeah. not accessible. It's daunting. Right. And the totally. brain gets over engaged. It's like, forget it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, that's just, I am certain that I will not ever love my body. And so what, what I, what we came up with together, because Dr. Dan ended up doing an excerpt for us in the body image chapter, um, we joined forces and, and came up with this exercise together. So instead of love your body, which can be daunting as a starting place, if there is a fair amount of body hatred, um, he said, what if, you know, just for 60 seconds a day, you know, you commit to a time where you actually didn't feel that way about your body or 60 seconds a day, just thinking about a time where you had appreciation for what your body could do. Just, just 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it's like a little bit and it's doable. Mm -hmm. And you, you're like, oh, I can, I mean, I can do 60 seconds. And, you know, so, so then it, then it lends itself to that bi-directional activity that the two directions, I can do that. And then it feels right. pretty good. I can do more. So anyway, that's one kind of fun new tool that we have, um, the, the use of micro goals, uh, it, as it relates to body image. Yeah. And I think that also speaks to, you know, in this, in our Western culture, I think it's so frequent. It's so common for us to want to take a giant chunk out of something and just go, mm -hmm. go, 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 go. Just do something yeah. so overwhelmingly challenging yeah. because we think that if we don't, you know, bite off a big hunk and pardon the pun, it's very hard for me to talk about body image and eating disorders without using food analogies. Right. But if we don't, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. every time I start. But so it's very, like, I feel like my personal MO is just to like, go, go, go. And, and I think that that is not being kind to ourselves. I think it's much easier to just dip a toe in, check it out. You know, we don't have to transform ourselves right. all the time. But I do think that that's sort of an American ideal too, that we totally. can transform ourselves and become something different than we are. And only when we become different from who we are, have we succeeded. And I think, you know, that's... that's well, we don't that's, have good calibrated goals that way, right? It just yeah. it just freaks us out and we shut down and then end up doing nothing, you know? And mm -hmm. it, it's also something that I've been using micro goals a lot too with clients that are depressed. You know, you can really use them for so many things. And so mm -hmm. instead of you know, asking a big open-ended question to the client whose mood is very low, like what would make you feel better? Mm -hmm. Instead, just, just asking something like, what is one thing you can do in the next four hours that might make you feel better? Right. You know, I had, had a, a client recently, you know, come up with just a great answer. Like I am going to reach out to so-and-so and make a plan and do some activity scheduling. That's it. Just that. Mm. Yeah, and so then, it. because it's so doable, it's such a calibrated goal. They do it. And they're like, I can do that. It gives you like a sense of self-mastery. And then it makes mm -hmm. you want a little more. So so then, you know, for a kid, for a teenage girl, 13, 14, 15, you know, would you, would you focus on, oh, my body is so strong. I was able to uh -huh. yes. go to school all day and go to basketball practice. Or isn't it amazing that I work so hard all day and I can still wake up in the morning and go do something really fun? Yeah, no. So, and strong is an interesting one too, because, um, there was a 
an amazing article in Women's Running Magazine recently, and our colleague, Dr. Riley Nichols, was interviewed in it. That's how I, I knew about it. And there is this study that is cited in that article um, that women, this this was about women, women who are in the habit of moving um, in ways, you know, when I say in the habit of moving, I don't mean for external goals like thin. Yes. I mean, in the habit of moving in a joyful way, hopefully that they really like for, for those internal goals of how it feels to how it feels after you know a brisk walk or to hang out with friends or whatever it is so for internal mm -hmm. reasons so women that are in the habit of moving um oftentimes have improved body image just from moving mm -hmm. not not because it's changing the shape of their body that wasn't why the study showed an right. improved body image it was just being in the habit of moving makes them feel well one of the reasons would be that they feel strong mm -hmm. you know so so you're right regardless of you know the the external it just yes, makes not us feel external. strong it's no. just like act, action it and feels, feeling you yeah. know action and feeling and where yeah. you actually get happiness from um so then so so i guess in our final moments uh is there anything else you would want to tell listeners or offer tips about or or give any kind of encouragement to parents who are thinking about their teens and their teens body image so one tip as as far as another, well, protective factor for the home, not necessarily, it's kind of more, it, it's a tip that might be more expansive than just the home. But w when we're thinking about preventing body image dissatisfaction, which of course, like we said, is a process, not a finished product for all of us. We're all living in yeah. this culture. One thing that, that we have in the body image chapter is diversifying interests. So if we think of adolescence, it is a normative time for for teens to over identify with their peers and want mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. like their peers but also unique and and they're really testing things out and trying to figure out who they are so it's normative but i think diversifying interests is very preventative for things like body image dissatisfaction and and what i mean by that is let's think in terms of uh well you want to you want to try to get away from what we call a uni unidimensional so you think mm -hmm. unibrow, one, right? <laughs> Unidimensional mm -hmm. identity. Okay, so Dr. Riley Nichols is in that chapter as well. He's kind of all over the place in the book in a good way. And he talks about, you know, he's working with professional athletes, you know, teens that are athletes all, all the time. And that's a really common area to get sort of overly identified with your athletic identity. And another way to think of it is sort of like having too many eggs in one basket or a house full of plants, but you're only watering one all of the time, mm, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to kill that one and the other ones too. So, you know, what, what makes it tricky is that even though sports, for example, is a great basket, you know, there's a lot of great things about being on a sport team. If you have all of your eggs there, it's risky because what if you become injured, for example, you don't have to yeah. take a break in your sport for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think distributing eggs in different baskets and think in terms of like, you know, a deck of cards, you know, the thicker the deck is, the harder it is to tear. So mm -hmm. diversifying interests, which is, you know, as parents, we know, Renee, like that is really hard because you're kind of, you're doing trial and error with different activities, you know? Yes, um, yes to see what you like. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so a little bit of trial and error and figuring out what people like, um, but but having lots of different interests within reason, um, mm -hmm. diversifying interests really is protective against having like a unidimensional identity. Um, mm -hmm. too, too many eggs in the body image basket, too many eggs in in wh whichever basket it is. So that, that would be my, my tip. 
That's great. Thank you so much. So Signa, where can people find out more about you, your book, et cetera? Oh, that'd be, yeah, that's great. The book actually went on pre-order. So it has a pre-order link as of January 21st, 2022, and it'll be out in, you know, actual book copy in March 21st, 2022, but the link is there to pre-order. And I think the best place would be the website, which is www.signadarpinian.com because all of the information is there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being my guest and for bringing your expertise and your ideas to the listeners, because I think... I think it's really important to remember that um, we can help our children and we can help guide them to a safe growing up experience. Absolutely. And Rooney, thank you for doing your part, you know, in dismantling diet culture through the Body Myth podcast and for shining a light on this important topic. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for tuning into the Body Myth. If you'd like updates, want to complete the Your Body in the World survey, or have a body image anecdote you'd like me to read on air, please visit the link in the show notes or find the link in my Instagram profile at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so that others can more easily find The Body Myth. Thank you so much for being here.